bum bum bottom 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 bum b
Everybody is looking to get that secret screening ticket on their docket. And leading up to each screening, the festival is like a buzz yeah. with trying to figure out what the secret screening is going to be. Because it's usually like a pretty big prestige film. Right. Uh, past secret screenings we've seen have been The Death of Stalin, mm -hmm. uh, Suspiria. That's right. And Knives Out last year. Yes, that was a very tough screening for me. Yeah, Lisa, as an emetophobe, we don't need to talk. about it. We don't it. need to get into your emetophobia, <laughs> but that, Lisa got into that secret screening, and I did not. I went and saw the Showgirls doc. Uh, you don't know me, but I ruined I ruined Knives Out for everyone sitting anywhere near me. <laughs> uh, but that's that's water. Neither under the here bridge. nor there. <laughs> so yeah, everyone's buzzing. What is going to be the secret screening? And there were some big guesses. Uh, Ryan Johnson and Karina Longworth actually were at the festival festival on the opening night or the second night. So everybody's like, it's definitely Glass Onion, we yeah. know. Yeah, and, 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 and then, but people were going like, well, I mean, Ryan Johnson could have just been there to be supporting his bud, Noah Segan, mm -hmm. he's got his new movie, Blood Relatives. And then people were going like, no, it's gotta be Hulu's Hellraiser. That's right. And the second secret screening was Hulu's Hellraiser. Uh, but no one, no one in a million years thought that the first secret screening was going to be Werewolf by Night. And you go into that theater and everyone around you, it's a sold out crowd and it's like four or five theaters all showing the secret screening. So all of these theaters are packed. Everyone's on the edge of their seat. And then the programmer, Anik, comes out and she starts to announce the title. And then overhead through the PA system, we hear a howl. And then on the screen, we get the poster for Marvel's Werewolf by Night. And I, like, I'm always excited for a secret screening. I have never been more excited than when this was announced. As the representative Marvel zombies, yeah. we lost our minds. Yeah, we lost our minds. And, and, and it did like throw some people for a loop because it, again, it's not necessarily something that people were expecting. They're like, Marvel at Fantastic Fest? That's weird. But as Michael Giacchino said in his uh, introduction, uh, he couldn't be there in person because he caught COVID. Mm -hmm. And not to spoil anything, but then Lisa and Brad caught COVID. I'm not saying we got it through the Zoom chat. <laughs> but you know that viruses are sneaky. <laughs> they are They're sneaky. very tricky. They're always evolving. So he's, uh, you know, telecasting into the crowd. And he's saying, like, you know, Werewolf by Night really is the perfect Fantastic Fest movie. And having now watched the film, uh, Brad and Lisa, we agree. It's a huge celebration of... Giacchino's love of those universal monster movies that he'd watch with his brother on Saturday mornings or whenever those happened. Those I mean, he tells us. Yeah, he tells us. <laughs> the, I'm getting into spoilers. Um, but, like, it's campy. It is black and white. It's weirdly. gorgeous. So beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's super nostalgic. It's crazy bloody. And what? Yeah, really violent for like, a Marvel movie. Uh, decapitations, limbs getting severed. But when you think of it in terms of this is a Halloween special, yeah. we want to get into those feel good, warm and fuzzy 
kind of spooky Halloween vibes. Like, this is it. It's it's a perfect cocktail, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's a perfect Fantastic Fest cocktail. It's a perfect Halloween cocktail. Uh, it does not feel like any other Marvel movie, and I love that. I think Marvel right now is really experimenting with the types of tones mm -hmm. they can inject into their franchise, and that's really exciting. And what we get with Werewolf by Night truly is a unique MCU experience. We stumbled out of that theater totally elated. Yeah. And then we immediately started searching the crowd for other glowing faces because we knew that they were our people, yeah, the yeah. Marvel people. Yeah, and, and, and Fantastic Fest does have, like we were saying, like uh, a lot of comic book geeks there. Mm -hmm. uh, one morning we saw some random stranger reading the Walter Mosley, Tom Riley, The Thing comic. Yep. And we're like, well, we need to become friends. Mm -hmm, but kindred spirit. He was engrossed in that book. He didn't want to talk <laughs> to should us. You shouldn't interrupt people while they're reading. <laughs> I was just so excited. Uh, but but yeah, you find like your friends who are also just glowing, like Lisa said. And one of our pals was Raphael Motomayor. Mm -hmm. You should all be reading his pop culture journalism. He's fantastic. Yes. And we were geeking out and he's like, Brad, Brad, did you get the email? And I was like, what, what email? He's like, check your email. And I checked my email and there's a message from Disney and it's like, hey, Michael Giacchino's doing a few conversations with folks who are interested. Are you interested? And uh, Lisa and I, uh, our heads exploded. Mm -hmm. We sent a hell yeah email. <laughs> a hell yeah. And the next day we got to chat with Michael about Werewolf by Night. It's a short conversation. He was doing a ton of interviews. Uh, it's like a little more than 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it is an intense 10 minutes and it's a very geeky 10 minutes. And there's nothing in this conversation that spoils the experience of Werewolf by Night. So if you haven't watched it on Disney Plus yet, uh, which it's not available till the 7th, uh, but if you have not watched it, don't worry. You can listen to this conversation. We don't spoil anything that's, that's not, not in the trailer. In the trailer. So Man Thing is in the trailers. So he does come up. <laughs> we gotta talk Man Thing. He's amazing. So cool. And Giacchino takes a, took a unique approach to shooting this yeah. CG monster. Yeah, it's, it's really, really something special. Uh, so I think that's all we need to say about the Giacchino side of things. The other surprise to our trip to Fantastic Fest is we actually kicked things off with another Zoom conversation with a Marvel Studios titan, Andy Park, the former comic book artist. Uh, I, will, I mean, not the former comic book artist, but like that's where he, he uh, came up in the world. He came up through comic books. And he has now become the director of visual development at Marvel Studios. Uh, when they revealed the Thunderbolts at D23, that artwork that has been circulating online, that is Andy's work. He is a concept designer. Uh, all the characters that you see on screen pass through his brain at some point. And we got to chat with him about his process. Andy Park's art is so synonymous with Marvel Studios and those films that I don't even really think of them as like... Art? I think of them as like real photographs I, I mean, of our Marvel heroes. I totally understand. <laughs> I get what you're saying about that. And, you know, the first time we see these characters is often through Andy's art. Uh, we talk about this with him, but the first time we ever saw Captain Marvel was at Comic-Con and they introduced her costume through Andy's piece. And so when I think about these characters, often the first images I see are actually Andy's images in my mind and I have to go, oh yeah, that's concept art. Yeah, we get so distracted of 
that's the actor and that's the costume and this is what we're going to see. We don't even take the time to celebrate the hand that crafted that image and the team yeah. that came together to make that iconic bazow. Yeah, so picture. Lisa and I are truly honored to have these two nerds on our show today. Uh, we, we cannot thank them or Disney enough for allowing this to happen, and we hope you enjoy this conversation as well. Uh, please share it with your friends, retweet it, put it on Facebook, put it on Instagram, let people know that uh, these are the types of conversations that you can get on Comic Book Couples Counseling, and uh, yeah, I think... On that note, we should just get into our chat with Michael. Sure. I am great. How are you doing? Wonderful. You're on with uh, Brad and Lisa. Hello, Brad and Lisa. How's everything? Great. I don't think we've ever been more excited to have a secret screening reveal than we were last <laughs> night. Uh, we lost it. We lost really? it at the theater. I am uh, so I am so bummed I couldn't be there. I, you know... I was, I, you know, yeah, I, last week I got COVID and I was like, and I was, how's your vid? How's it going? It's fine. I feel way better now, but I'm still, you know, he's still testing positive. I don't know how long that's going to last, but, uh, you know, now I'm at the stage where it just feels like the end of a cold or something. So, Uh, well, but I did, I did get to listen in over zoom. And so I did get to hear everyone's reactions during the film and all of that. So that was fun to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it went really, really well. Um, I guess like where we wanted to start was with, your relationship with the comics as a kid, you know, Werewolf by Night, I mean, it has its fans, you know, I read some as a kid, but not a lot. What was it about the books that really resonated with you? Well, I mean, I, my brother and I, every Saturday would watch monster movies. That's all we ever did, you know, and it was like a religious experience for us. We would, no matter what, be in front of that television. We grew up outside of Philadelphia in New Jersey, and we watched Creature Double Feature. And uh, I have so, so anytime, even if we were at like 7-Eleven and we would see the comic book rack and I would see a monster comic, I'd be like, grab it. That's what we would grab, you know, and it would be Werewolf by Night. It would be, you know, Tomb of Dracula It would be whatever it was they were doing at the time. Uh, and those became some of our favorite ones. And we had the book and record of the Werewolf by Night. I had all that stuff. You know, I still do. Actually, my mom saved everything. So uh it was just a big part of my childhood. So when Kevin said, hey, if you're going to direct, what what do you want to direct? And I was just like, Werewolf by Night. That's it. That's what I want to do. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah. So I explained to him why and what it meant to me. And he was just like, all right, well, let's let's figure it out. And uh, And we did. And this is kind of where we went. So you can see when you watch it, it's just, it's a huge love letter to all of those things. It, it's not just about the comics. It's about all of the, the, the monster sort of things that have been made over many, many years, you know, starting with the universal moving into the hammer stuff, going into things like poltergeist and, you know, I, 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 I ghost story, all of those things. I love, I just love, it was always fun being scared, you know, and every time you do it, you're always saying, I'm never going to watch another scary movie again, but of course, <laughs> The next week you were right back doing it again. So, uh, you know, that's where it all kind of came, came from. And that conversation with Kevin Feige, he, so he was surprised and like in that conversation, did it take some convincing to go, this is where we should go next with these things? No, no, he was very much into it. I, if it, it, it was something I think that, you know, I don't know how much thought they had put into that side of their, catalog yet you know there there hadn't been much discussion about that um so 
it was one of those things that was like, if I was going to do something, I wanted to do something that had been untouched. I wanted to do the thing that had the most chance of failure, you know, because that that was exciting, you know, to get into something that I don't know what to do with this yet. Let's figure it out together. And 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 that was the fun of it. They had done such brilliant work in on the on the superhero side of things. And I I I honestly didn't know what I could add to that. Like I wasn't sure what do I do beyond what you've done? It's already so good. I said, but this was an area that not only do I love and have such an affinity for, but it's ripe for just discovery. Let's see what we have and let's see what we can do and try and do something unique and different. And 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 the best thing we can do is surprise people by doing something that is just like so out there and so unexpected that, you know, let's just see what happens. Werewolf by Night is so reverent and nostalgia forward. And I was wondering if this film being classified as a Halloween special versus like a movie movie, did that give you a little bit more license to be more celebratory and, and nostalgic? I think so. I think, you know, that the fact that we were doing it in black and white, I think all of these things allowed us to tell the story in a way that was very different from the, from what they've been doing traditionally, you know, and, and I just kept, I kept pushing in those directions, you know, in terms of not just the black and white of it all, but, uh, the the horror aspect of it all like not shying away from the fact that let's just be scary let's just be violent let's be but as as long as we are always centered on the characters and the emotions and the empathy and the humanity behind all of this i felt like as long as we did that that gave us a lot of room to play in the other areas that we haven't seen in the, in in the marvel universe yet and so the horror stuff to me was like a big 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 thing that I wanted to push as far as I could go. And they never said no. So I just kept pushing. Uh, we love Man-Thing. Absolutely. He's a character that's just so precious to us. Yes. Uh, same. And same, same, same. <laughs> same with me. I love him. And what I love this subtext of Werewolf by Night of like radical empathy, like every creature deserves to be seen and heard. Can you, can you talk a little bit about other like life lessons you feel like you've gotten by being a comic fan and a horror fan? Yeah, I mean, look, I think any of us who love this sort of genre, we love it because of exactly what you said, this radical empathy. And, and if you look around the world today, it is the thing we are most without, uh, you know? So it felt like to me, the thing to explore, you know, I, I get so disheartened and depressed about the way everyone is sort of treated in the world today. If you're different, you're automatically shoved aside and either ignored or destroyed. You know, that is the way that's the first approach. And I felt like, no, that's, that's not how I want to do this. Even in monster movies, so many times the monster is the victim. They, 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 and, and, they, and they are attacked. They are the, the thing. You, let's light a torch and chase them down. Let's, let's try and kill it. Let's do that. And as a kid, I was always like, no, 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 no. That's not what you do. You're supposed to, you're supposed to help them. They need, they need help. These are people with problems. These are not monsters. They're people. They don't want to be monsters. They don't want to be this thing. They're struggling with it. And if we can help them accept and see that we accept them for who they are, then maybe things could be different. So that's, that's, that's what I wanted this to be about. This idea of really looking beyond what is in front of you physically and seeing what is inside and, and to show them in a way that wasn't just as a monster, you know, to show them in a way that was like, you see, these are actually people. 
you know, and, and, and there's that moment, which, you know, in, when, when, I don't know, you know, we don't want to spoil anything for anyone who's listening to this, who hasn't seen it, but there's a moment when that is very clear when that happens, you know, in the film and you're like, Oh, I get it. I see what's going on. And then you suddenly tune into them in a way that you wouldn't have tuned into them if it was just like, let's hunt a monster tonight, you know? Yeah. And, and so I just, I think the idea of humanity and empathy and, and, and really looking at people for who they are is the most important thing we can we can put out into the world, especially today. Yeah, amen. And and I think you know some of the uh, alterations or updates that you give to Jack Russell and the world of Were Werewolf by Night uh, aid in that mission. Can you talk a little bit more about you know updating and modernizing uh, Werewolf by Night for? For us yeah i mean you know like for me and looking for who was going to be jack russell like i never thought about like oh it's got to be modeled after what it was in the comics and, and and the comics were fun i love the comics i love it but let's face it if i had made a movie about a rich kid in malibu who had all these problems about with being a werewolf like that's not gonna fly you know so um I wanted someone that embodied this complete humanity and empathy and gael was like he was the only person I could think of, like I, 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 the only one. I was very lucky to work with him on Coco. I got to know him a bit on that. And uh, when I started thinking about this, I thought he was the only person that I can imagine that could pull this off in a way that felt real, that felt like somebody you want to, you want to root for, somebody that you just have a built-in understanding and love for. He's like a modern day Buster Keaton, you know, in, 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 in some way. And, and we always thought it would be fun to look. He sort of just makes it up as he goes in life. He's been alive for a very long time. We don't know how long he's been alive. I don't know how old he is, you know. And even the name, when I talked to Gael about the name Jack Russell, uh, he was like, I said, how do you feel about that name? And he's like, he said to me, he goes, oh, that's just one of many names I've had over the years, you know, <laughs> so. I love that he said that. And I love that that's the way he was thinking because then that suddenly broads the character out so much. You know, this is a guy who's been on the run for years and who knows what it's like to live with that sort of affliction, you know, and, and, and if we can just kind of peek behind the curtains and understand that a bit, it'll, it'll, it'll help us. Um, in the Q and a following the film, you talked a little bit about how you were a kid making movies. Like that was like your form of play. Yeah. And now you've made your homage to the creature feature. Do you think, and you you were using practical effects as well to kind of yep. hearkening back to the those movies that you love so much. Like, do you feel like you can now appreciate those movies with a deeper level of imp intimacy? Oh, oh yeah. I think about them very differently. I mean, I always loved them and I always loved the practical side of things and I love, but it was more as a sort of a... Um, of a film nerd type of way. Having done this and been on set and worked with all the makeup artists and worked with all the special effects people, all of that really gave me a much deeper understanding. And I feel way more connected to the people that made those movies back in the day than I ever did before. You know, when you're really doing it the way they did, we built sets, we did everything. I mean, it was just, when you walked onto those sets, it was always a magical moment. Like I was like, whoa, this is so crazy. I'm here in the maze, you know, and the maze was huge. It was a giant soundstage, you know, it went all across the whole thing and it had the mausoleum at one end. So we really, uh, I just really dove into that. And I do feel like I had a much bigger spiritual connection to all of the people that were making these things and, and an understanding 
in some way because we made this pretty quickly you know it, 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 like they used to do like, you know someone would be like all right here's twelve thousand bucks go make me a frankenstein movie you know and and they would struggle to go and make something not only that was visually thrilling but also had meaning behind it you know mm. and yeah. the best horror movies have meaning behind it they mean something i'm not a slasher fan i don't like movies that are just about like some guy going around killing kids it's not my thing uh I need something that actually has meaning and thought and empathy behind it. And, and that's why, you know, movies like Poltergeist resonate with me, you know, uh, movies like all of the ones we've just discussed resonate with me, even watching old, um, like Ultraman and Godzilla and King Kong, like those were movies that I always felt so bad for the monsters. I'm like, this is crazy. And everyone's trying to kill these things. And they didn't ask for any of this, you know, like they didn't. So uh, I was always very uh, a, a confused emotions growing up watching those those uh, movies, you know, because I did have friends that were like, kill it, kill it, kill it. You got to kill it. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Why would you kill it? You know, because it's different. Well, OK, great. And that's that's the world we live in, sadly. And uh, uh, but I'd like to try and do whatever I can to kind of push the thoughts into a different direction. So. Oh, you did it. I mean, Werewolf by Night does it. Uh, you know, we, we love the film. We, lo we enjoyed it so much. We can't wait for your next directorial effort. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for uh, chatting with us today. Oh, thank you. It was great talking to you both. Yeah, take care. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, look at this. We're talking in the middle of the show. How weird. <laughs> we forgot to set that up. But hey, Michael Giacchino, what a cool dude, right? Wasn't that the best? Uh, I wish we had more time, obviously, to talk to him. Uh, there's a moment in the conversation, and I don't know if you can tell, but I am showing off my Man Thing t-shirt to mm -hmm. Michael. Uh, it's a t-shirt illustrated by the artist uh, at Chango ATX. Link in the show notes. Recently married. Congratulations, Juan and Rod. The cutest couple ever, after us, of course. And it, like, th there's just this moment where I'm showing off Chango's shirt to Michael, and it's all done visually, and Michael just lights up mm -hmm. when he sees the shirt. And he's like, yes, yes, that yes, yes, that's the moment where he's going like, that's a cool shirt. Brad, of course, screen grabbed it and posted it on Twitter, so. I'm not gonna let that moment not be immortalized. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so, you know, Man-Thing geekery, comic book geekery, Universal and Hammer Horror geekery. I'm very curious and excited for the rest of the world to see Werewolf by Night. I think it's going to be a certain fan's total jam. And uh, it's, you know, I could see it being at the top of some MCU fans' ranking. That's the beautiful thing about a niche. Sometimes just the right the right thing just gets down in there and feels real good. I think I'm being like a little defensive because not everyone on the planet is loving She-Hulk as much as we are. Mm -hmm. And I guess I can understand how it could not be for everyone, especially if you're a sexist jerkwad. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. But, that's, it, it won't, it's not for sexist jerkwads. <laughs> but we need more experimentation within the formula. That's what Marvel's doing right now with things like She-Hulk and Werewolf by Night. And I'm eating it up. I love it. I too am loving She-Hulk and I'm getting from it exactly what I wanted, exactly what I love from Dan Slott's run yeah. of She-Hulk. It is Marvel's take on Allie McBeal yeah. and it's amazing, but I have a little like strategy for those of you out there loving She-Hulk, but having to deal with the barrage 
of criticism it's getting from a certain contingent. When somebody says a criticism, oh, and I got this from Dulce Sloan at the Women Who Kick-Ass panel, the, the last Comic-Con. That was such a good panel. And that is to repeat the criticism, the sexist criticism back as a question. <laughs> yeah. So, for example, from my real life, Someone said, oh, She-Hulk just comes across as a little girl bossy to me. <laughs> and so what you say is, girl bossy? Like, what do you mean by that? Or, I think that it panders to women. Panders to women? What do you mean by that? Lisa used that technique in real life to somebody who we know and, and, and cherish and love. But they said that She-Hulk was too <laughs> girl bossy. Lisa goes, Two girl bossy, what do you mean? And then that person- Shut down. Could not answer, could not answer. Just crumpled like a flan in the cupboard. Uh, but changing gears a little bit uh, to set up our conversation now with Andy Park, uh, like it's so nice to talk to a fellow comic book geek about what it's like to translate these designs that you adore so much to the live action realm. And it means a lot to Andy Park that he gets it right. And not everyone feels the way that he does. And sometimes he has to like, you know, challenge others and their opinions like, no, like I think, I think Scarlet Witch needs a physical crown. She needs the Scarlet Witch's crown, a CGI crown won't do. And that's what this conversation is really about. It's Andy Park taking us through the process of why some costumes uh, can be a little more exaggerated from what you see on the page and why some other costumes have to be much closer to their source material. Now imagine, as we are do conducting this very professional interview, in the background oh. is Andy Park's shelf of figures and hot toys and it took our very willpower not to just like as he's talking try to pinch and zoom to his background what's going on back there and not just a shelf a cabinet a built-in uh, like rows upon rows of figures and one of the items on one of these many shelves is like a replica mm -hmm. ant-man helmet i wanted to reach into the screen and put that thing on he's I, living the dream it, yeah Andy Park is living the dream and it's great to see and it's great to hear about. And I'm really excited for you all to partake in this conversation as well. So on that note, let's get to Andy. Andy, how are you today? What's up, Brad and Lisa? How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing wonderful. We were at uh, the San Diego Comic-Con Hall H when Captain Marvel was revealed using your art. And we were at D23 when the Thunderbolts came out <laughs> using your art. Nice. And nice. it was incredible for us, but it's got to be like unreal for you. Like your art is like the first reveal of these characters. What is that emotional experience like for you? It's crazy because, um, you know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties, right? So I grew up with Marvel comics in particular. So I've always kind of dreamed about these characters. And if you're not aware the my original career was as a comic book artist. Mm -hmm. So I drew comic books for about 10 years before I started doing like concept art for video games and then for film. And I've been with Marvel for the past 12 years. So it's, 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 I'm honored. I'm so honored, deeply honored to be working in the VizDev um, team, which is a unique 
department in the film industry. And it's part of, you know, it's it's all about Kevin Feige, right? And the leadership of Marvel. They saw something unique about what they had and they wanted to create something that's different than just the Hollywood model. So part, part of that is our team. So initially created by Ryan Minerding and Charlie Wen. So we have a history of like working on these projects, even a lot of times before there's any cast or director or even we're working as the script is being written. So um, it's really cool because they Kevin Feige has utilized us to, as you mentioned, to do early artwork for all these projects, like what proof of concept, what are, obviously we're looking at the comic books, right? But what, what can the film adaptation look like? These characters come to life. So in Comic-Con, we've had a history of doing that. So for the first Avengers, um, we did a, a series, I think it was six or seven posters that were interconnected. That was the first reveal of what this, what each Avengers is going to look like. So between myself, Charlie Wen, and Ryan Mannerding, we did like, you know, like Ryan did a Captain America, Charlie did a Thor, I did the the Shield, Nick Fury, and um, Colby Smulders, all that kind of stuff. And then, as you mentioned, Hall H through the years, like there's been reveals, right? So Captain Marvel, and I was there at Hall H when seeing the artwork, you know, being displayed up there, that's the first uh, public showing of what the costume is going to be looking like. Um, and then Kevin Feige up there announcing it. And then most recently with the D23, um, it's totally an honor, but it's it's totally one of those things where I'm like pinching myself because I've been working here for that long, you know, for almost 30 projects now, um, but it's still surreal. Um, I was reading in another interview how um, when uh, collaborating on uh, the character of Shang-Chi, you were using those Marvel influences, but also you were using influences from like Bruce Lee movies. And I was just curious about when you're creating um, a visual for a character, like how do you create that palette of influences? Is it something that happens all at once or is it, or does it come gradually? It's, um, it's really, as I mentioned, it's all about starting off at the comic books, right? So we always wanna honor the source material, the geniuses, um, the hundreds of geniuses that have created these characters, right? And of course, starting with Stanley, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, and then through the decades, all the other artists and creators that have contributed to these characters, right? So we're always starting there. We're doing a deep dive into the decades of these histories, because of the histories of these characters, because as you know, you know, where the Avengers started, you know, when it was created decades ago by Jack, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, like, and then where they are now, they've gone through a lot and they've evolved and they've had so many different looks and just their personalities have changed and um, their storylines have changed and their costumes have changed, right? With, with, with each artist that has depicted them. So we're doing a deep dive there first, but then, so we always want to keep that in mind and honor the history but then we have you know my job as a concept artist character designer for these films is to take the story that we're trying to tell because it's not a one-to-one -one translation we're adapting we're creating we're changing things up when necessary and we're creating a, a new a story a new lore of these characters that we love that the public loves so I'm looking at the story. I'm having conversations with the filmmakers and the directors, as well as the leadership of Marvel. And from those discussions, as well as us, myself, as well as the team of artists that we have in the VizDev department, 
we're coming up with visuals, we're coming up with concepts of like what these characters not only can look like, what they can do, you know, with their abilities, their powers. Obviously, Shang-Chi, as you mentioned, was one where we had a little bit more freedom to kind of invent, you know, reinvent the wheel on that character. So even with the rings, like Shang-Chi never had the rings. So we're, we're, we're changing things up when necessary. And even when there were rings in the comics, there was always rings on the fingers. But because we had Thanos so recently, it's a little too similar. So uh, Destin, Daniel Cretton, the director, had the idea of like uh, the rings, the, the, um, the training martial art rings, which are real things, but they're usually meant for training purposes to strengthen up the forearm and your um, striking abilities. Um, and it's also like in Kung Fu Hustle, like used as weapons. So, yeah. we're, we're, yeah. <laughs> so we're taking all that influence um, and then we're adapting it for like, how can we make it our own? Um, as well as when I'm designing the costumes and stuff, I'm doing a deep dive into just researching, like knowing that she, Shang-Chi is going to be Chinese, you know, like that's going to be his background. I'm doing a deep dive into Chinese culture, um, symbolisms. That's how I came up with the idea of the eternal knot, having this symbol prominent on his chest. And then as the story evolved, knowing that this costume is going to be coming from the mother and Tao Lo, then the idea of like, oh, we can put dragon skin as a form of armor because this has got a special, you know, it's flexible, but since dragon scales are like strong, it, it serves as armor. So you're doing a deep dive into all of those things, even down to the shoes. You know, that was an idea that I had was like, that's one element that he like kept that's his own since he spent time in in America. So he's his from his background of being from his from Chinese heritage, but he's also Asian American, which is what I am. You know, I grew up, I was born and raised in the, the U.S. where my parents were from Asia. So taking all those influences and saying like, oh, that's why he should wear sneakers. Because that's the one thing that would be kind of uniquely his own. So it's it's all about taking uh, um a, a, amalgamation of all those things and mixing it up all up into a design that you know they would like. You talk about how you got a you you felt there was a little more freedom with the character like Shang Chi. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Uh, you know, like do you consider characters where you can be a little more flexible with the designs versus like? You know, Captain America's got to look a certain way because his iconography is maybe more entrenched in popular culture. Yeah, I mean, Shang-Chi, definitely we had more room, you know, just because, um, yeah, we just, we knew from the get-go, you know, that we were going to have more leeway in that storyline. We weren't going to be so beholden to the past. Um, and also, in just speaking for his costume, you know, originally he was just, you know, he looked kind of like Bruce Lee. So a lot of times he was just shirtless and wearing Kung Fu pants, right? And then later he had more of that jumpsuit, which I'm sure undoubtedly was more inspired by also by Bruce Lee, by like the game of death, um, his yellow jumpsuit. So, you know, definitely I was influenced by that, you know, trying to get that that um, triangle motif that was on his chest area. Um, but it depends on the character, right? Like um, Scarlet Witch was one that I got to design through the years. And I first tackled that, um, on Age of Ultron. But that one, because I'm a fan of the Marvel comics and I grew up reading like West Coast Avengers, I'm like, yeah. the first image, the first image I painted up or designed was like, you know, more comic accurate. And I even gave her the crown. But I did that knowing that it's going to get rejected because the story didn't call for that. You know, she's just from Sokovia. So she was going to be re wearing more real world clothes, clothing. So that's why I, 
I did designs of her having a jacket, but, you know, got to make it red and, you know, all those little nods to um, the comic, you know, even in Civil War, I try to give her a headband to nod to her crown. But then, of course, eventually, you know, the story led to her in WandaVision. Then I was like, I finally get to do like, the you know, the more comic inspired I had, you know, so it really is part of the conversations of like how close we can get, but we do all of it. And every design we do from Captain Marvel to Shang-Chi to Mighty Thor more recently and Thor, we do the range of like very comic accurate and we push it all the way to like things that are very much pushed. And from there, we have discussions between the directors and the producers and Kevin Feige to find out where on the scale is right for this story. At uh, D23, I, I know you. I, I just, I just, <laughs> at D23, uh, I was listening to you uh, at the Marvel booth and you were talking about Scarlet Witch's crown. Yeah. And you were talking about how they originally thought that maybe we could do like a CGI, you know, fiery crown or something like that. And you're like, no, 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 we got to do a <laughs> crown. Yeah. Is that important to you? Because I, I, I work, I, I'm an employee of um, Disney or Marvel Studios. But I'm at heart a fanboy, right? <laughs> I'm a fan of Marvel comic books. I'm an a fan. I'm a fan of these characters. So I I want to see them very much like how I saw them growing up, right? So I want them to look like the, how they looked in the comics because that's what I fell in love with, right? So whenever I'm doing any assignment, I'm I have to please. I in my mind at least, I have to please like essentially three people. One is like marvel which is like kevin feige and the leadership of, of marvel two is definitely the director right and three is the fans so that one's easy because i'm just like i just look at myself what you know how do i please, you know <laughs> how do i make myself happy so i do designs based off of that so yeah so so, so that was one where I, in early discussions i could tell the leadership they weren't sure between the director the leadership they weren't sure if they wanted to be a solid crown um, and they were starting to lean towards just being like an effect. And then I'm, you know, I'm in the, I'm in that room where I'm like trying to argue like that's the soul voice being like, um, no, it needs to be like, needs, I like, I love that it's going to go effect. Like we, it, it must do that, but it's got to get solid. Right. So of course, you know, the way I sell it is in the artwork. So I'm, I'm doing versions upon versions of what the crown can look like. The one that you saw is just one of many, many versions I did. I did that as well as effects, you know, versions. So um, I'm very happy that, you know, they landed with, let's, yeah, let's do both. But it's definitely, it solidifies and make, it just completes that look for me. Yeah. Clearly, like what you do involves so much like back and forth. And, and I imagine that each submission that you make is like, is like in and of itself, like an, an emotional roller coaster. Like, are there, is there something that you've put a lot of energy into where you're like, I know this is definitely not going to be the one or, um, or like, do you ever turn it something in? And I'm like, please don't anybody come back with anything else. Like, like what is the emotional <laughs> experience like? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good question because us as artists, like we have, a, we, I talk about this with my other viz dev artists. Like we have a unique job. I feel like compared to just, people out there because our, our art is so personal to us. Like it's kind of like a, like a musician or like when you, or 
or an actor like when you when you perform or when we're drawing we, we spend so much time so much thought and ourselves are put into each piece that we do we're not just like willy-nilly doing stuff there's a reason why we put every brush stroke and every design elements um so yeah it's it's hard you're creating it right <laughs> you're creating it so if you, you get kind of attached to each of your each image that you do so it, it, it is emotionally challenging you have to you have to develop a thick skin because i go to those meetings and i present it in a room full of like 20 different heads of departments and leadership and the director and i'll click through the images as i'm showing it and you know it'll, i'll click on an image and then some you know, a lot of times there's a silence there's not it's not like <laughs> applause every time there's an image like there's there's silence because they need to just kind of mull it over think about it but you know you click on it and, and then you go to the next one but when you click over an image you on one of yours you're like oh that was um sometimes like four days through four days of like sweat and blood and tears and toil to try to come with that idea and it's just like you know but that's that's our job we just like you know, do something you know it's not there to be we're not we're not we're not taking them to a gallery show right <laughs> or helping them to find everyone's vision and so in, in, in particular the directors like the small way that I can relate to that is like I'm a musician and a oh, lot of it is like weddings and funerals where it's like really it's it's meant to be like this like selfless service service thing. Yeah. Um, but are there certain works that you've done for Marvel where you go like this is the like secretly like this is my best expression of myself as an artist? Oh, like in a particular piece? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. And that didn't make it. That's the, that's what you're asking. Oh, or, or either made way, it, or, or made it. it. It's oh, like you know. Okay, I think. I mean, that's why I bring up Scarlet Witch, and because that one was one where, you know, it was a it was a long journey because you know through the years she kind of always just had she didn't she never really had like a full on superhero costume. And for me, like I really like the superhero costumes because I'm a comic book fan. So hers was always more of a jacket, and you know more. It was like heightened real realism, mm -hmm. which is cool. But then, you know, you kind of always want that superhero outfit. So WandaVision was really special for me to, you know, to do to work on that one. And then something I'll never forget is going to that like final costume fitting with uh, costume designer Myers Rubio. Um, and at Ironhead Studios, there's a specialty customers with Elizabeth Olsen and seeing her in the costume. And then she put on the crown and it's just like, whoa, you know, it feels like, you, you know, you spent so much time with that that look as well as the, the, the toil of getting an approval, which is it takes months and months to finally get an approval. And then working with the costume designer and the specialty customers to get to that final look and to see it, you know, realize is that's a really special thing. So that one was definitely, yeah, that one stands out. Now, I know you can't talk about what you're currently working on, because I imagine you're working on like phase nine of Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, but like, you know, what is that distance? You know, how far into the future are you? Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to answer that one. Um, we're, I, I can't get specific. Like, sure, I can't say specifically not. how many years, but we're definitely a lot of times years in, ahead, but I don't how many years I, I can't say but it, you know and and you know schedules fluctuate and all that kind of stuff so but um yeah it's it's we're, we're always 
juggling and it's it's really hard to keep all these like secrets inside because <laughs> you know things that i know that are going to be coming out years ahead of time you know i can't even tell like my family or my friends because i'm like oh, i want them to enjoy it when mm -hmm. it finally is re released Do, are there like as a fan are there certain characters where you're just like dying for the opportunity to design a look for them uh i mean for the longest time you know like I was always a fan of like the Avengers and then finally getting to see Spider-Man. Man, that was crazy when that Sony deal came through. I remember we were working on Civil War in the middle of that. That's when we were told, well, one, we were told Black Panther is going to be in this movie. And we're like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. And then they said Spider-Man is going to be in this movie, you know. So that that was an exciting moment. Um, for me, I grew up an X-Men fan. Mm -hmm um that was as in my teenage years then that became like my favorite so but then I was always sad working at Marvel Studios I'm like oh Fox has it you know <laughs> but then you know you obviously you know the news about Fox so I was like oh my gosh so <laughs> yeah that that'll be a that'll be fun one day to like you know to see that on the big screen uh Andy we can't wait to see it on the big screen uh you know thank you so much for hanging out and chatting with us today we're huge fans we love picking up the art of books we're always anticipating the next one uh so it was a real pleasure for us to chat with you thank you thank you so much yeah those art books are a little late but they're they're coming they're coming <laughs> Free order. Free order. We're good. I know you know the COVID thing <laughs> well you have Thanks, a great guys. day thank, thank you, you, you so too. I can't help but imagine like right after we finish that interview, Andy Park closes his laptop, he leaves the room, and it's like night at the museum in there. <laughs> All of these hot toys come to life and start battling each other. Yeah, not only is that what I imagine, I think that might be what happens. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I definitely do. There uh, was magic in that room. There, there was magic in that room. There was magic in that conversation. We had such a good time chatting to Andy. Yes, Lisa and I did try to get him to spill the beans on what he's currently designing. We wanted that CBCC scoop. Uh, but Marvel Studios is like, no, don't even <laughs> tell them how far in the future you are currently designing. He's probably is on phase 10 and 11 by now. It could very well be that he is still like working on phase five and they have to pretend like they they have a long-term plan. Yeah, I mean, that is the reputation, right? Like that Marvel and Kevin Feige are thinking 12 phases ahead. But I think what we've learned in the last few years is they're not as far ahead as we used to think they were and that they are able to do a lot of improvisation uh, depending on how people react to the latest entry in the MCU. The last thing Andy Park wants to do is work on a phase 11 peanut butter barbarian oh. just for him to end up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> you know, uh, there's a time where I would have said, there's no way we're getting a peanut butter barbarian. But now that we've introduced Man-Thing, a peanut butter barbarian is not that far off. The world is Andy Park's oyster. <laughs> All of MCU is going to be on screen. Yeah, so yeah, that is going to do it for our CBCC special presentation of Werewolf by Night. Featuring Michael Giacchino and Andy Park. What an incredible thing to say. 
Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as uh, we did. Our next episode is going to be our New York Comic Con recap. Uh, we will have at least one guest on. We've already recorded a conversation with writer-artist Matt Lesniewski about his new comic book, Faceless and the Family, uh, launching on Zoop on October 11th. We've read the first issue. We love the first issue. We are big-time fans of Matt Lesniewski. Uh, go read Static. Go read uh, The Freak and the new issue of Mind Management Bootleg. All truly, the issues Truly a brilliant bootleg. artist. There is not anyone doing what he is doing. Yeah. It is so gorgeous and detailed and just and, amazing. And I do feel like our conversation with Matt is a true counseling session because uh, he does not believe that so many people would like his artwork. Uh, and we help him with some words of affirmation. I don't know if we helped. We definitely <laughs> was like, we got to the point where we we're like, just accept our compliments, man. <laughs> uh, the conversation was a lot of fun. Uh, we are heading to New York tomorrow uh, with a fresh bill of health. Uh, is that the phrase? Fresh bill of health? A clean bill of health. I think is the <laughs> a fresh phrase. bill of health. The other one, we destroyed it. Yeah, it's a fresh <laughs> one because nice it's, uh, it's counterfeit. Uh, our, <laughs> Not counterfeit. We're taking it very seriously. <laughs> we are feeling great after our COVID experience. Lisa and I have never been sick together at yeah. the same time. And it was a true nightmare. <laughs> yeah, after uh, how long have we been together? Like 15 years? Yeah, 15 years, Still Lisa. having new experiences. New experiences, COVID. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're headed to New York Comic Con. We're going to come back with a New York Comic Con episode. And then after that, we will get back to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles discussing the first seven issues of Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman's comic book. Uh, and also, we got to say, like, you know, we're going to New York Comic Con and we're bringing these New York Comic Con CBCC exclusive stickers illustrated and designed by Elliot Dixon at Elliot Comic Art on Twitter. And he has on his T Public page put up the CBCC at NYCC design as well as the CBCC at Baltimore Comic Con design for sale. So you can own. CBCC t-shirts through his Tee Public page. Link in the show notes. Can you imagine being at Baltimore Comic Con and walking up to a stranger wearing our faces? <laughs> Can you imagine wearing our faces, walking up to our faces? <laughs> Let's make that happen, friends. It's funny because on my 2021 vision board, yes. I did put... CBCC merch yep. and have done zero effort to move towards that end. Yeah, but Boom Elliot manifested. Yeah, Elliot's going to make it happen the for us. The secret works, you guys. <laughs> of course, you know, we're it's all that money goes to Elliot. So yeah. support Elliot. Yeah, well, but you will be supporting us emotionally. Yeah, though. emotionally and putting our faces out in the world and we need that. And also you'd be sparing us the embarrassment of Elliot putting up our shirts and then no one buying them. <laughs> yes, so please Please buy Elliot's ZBCC shirts. Uh, but yeah, so that's what we've got going on. Uh, hope to see you at New York Comic Con. And uh, Lisa, how do we get out of this episode? I know how to end this episode, Brad, with my favorite way to end all things, a musical number. Start spreading the news. New York, New York. I had to edit it out because I started at the very beginning 
of Sinatra's New York, New York, but then realized it would be like way too long and nobody wants to. Okay. Where can our listeners (laughs) send their words of affirmation to you? I love not responding in any way to Lisa's musical numbers. Do you know what uh, singers love for you to do when you sing to them? Just complete silence. Not at all amused. Well, Lisa, uh, all listeners can can send their words of affirmation to me, Brad Gullickson, (laughs) at Mouthdork on all social medias. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at a cool hand fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always doing a kick line and accepting words of affirmation <laughs> at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast. And yes, I know you've emailed us a lot. I have a bunch of emails that I need to respond to. But again, we had COVID. We had Fantastic Fest. Uh, we had D23. I, I'm, I'm slowly catching up to those emails. And yes, I'm feeling shame about it. Uh, you can give us the gift of five stars. <laughs> yeah, but we still want those five stars. <laughs> on, on Apple Podcasts. That will be for the quality of our podcast, not for our uh, Outros. receptitude <laughs> of sending emails back. Oh, yeah, or that. And if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five levels languages it really warms our hearts and helps the pod so until next time friends keep your love tank full and your psychic rapport open i'm leaving a pause because i'm about to say something weird